Hey team, welcome to another edition of the Rugby League Lounge Weekly Show. And once again, I'm very privileged to have a guest. And I have got Nathan, who is more, well, more known to being called the Rugby League Guru. Nathan, how are you going on today, mate? Mate, all going well. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, been keeping a pretty close eye on everything you're doing on Instagram and whatnot. Mate, you seem to be flying. Enjoying it? Yeah, very much enjoying it. It's been kind of something that I've been thinking about for a while. And I've um, been happy with the decision to pursue the the passion and I must I talked to you off yeah I've really appreciated the bit of the feedback and responses you're giving me and obviously today so I really appreciate your work and yeah very stoked to have you on today um and before I'm assuming a lot of my listeners are going to and viewers are going to know who you are but basically let's just start off with who is the rugby league guru mate uh name's Nathan as you mentioned uh just been a rugby league fanatic all my life, essentially, uh, you know, played when I was younger, wasn't too crash hot, always enjoyed more so the coaching side, the analysis sort of side about it, you know, just sitting around talking footy with people that are, you know, with smarter footy brains than me, essentially, uh, you know, I probably stopped playing when I was about 16 or so, I uh, was probably in the best interests of me, my body and everything, uh, but I've always enjoyed playing touch, I was tag, all my mates are just rugby league fanatics, I've got a team that I coach now. Uh, under 16s team in in South Sydney. Uh, just love doing that, mate. Absolutely love it. And the page obviously kicked off about three years ago. Um, sort of started a, as a super coach page just to take the piss out of one of my mates. I was trying to lure him into asking me questions. And then I'm trying to spring it on him when we went on our draft weekend and whatnot. And I don't know, just picked up a thousand followers quickly. And then I thought, oh, there might be something in this. Then it got to 20,000, 30,000. Then I thought, oh, you know, I, I, I think this podcasting is, is going to be something over the next few years. So dove into the podcast and, mate, I've absolutely loved it. COVID last year, um, I'm a teacher myself, so I was at home a lot. So I had a lot of time to do it. And it's uh, yeah, it's just gone from strength to strength, mate, and I absolutely love it. I'm slowly starting to turn, talking into footy, into my job. So it's uh, it's been awesome, mate. I'm absolutely loving it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've probably been following you for, oh, it would be around about that 12-month Mark, and obviously well into your podcasting form then, but it's cool that you're able to kind of adapt with the times and you know, transition and see that's where things were going. And yeah, it's funny how it just kind of was a bit of a bit of a laugh at first, you and your mate, and see how things have turned out. I'm really, really stoked for you. And I think a lot of us footy fans are to the content you provide us. And one of the main re- actually the main reason I reached out there, um, Nathan, is that a lot of the content that I enjoy from Nathan is based around this idea of position positioning and the roster construction. And what I mean by this is one of the podcasts that stuck out for me with Nathan was talking about JT and blowing up. Uh, I shouldn't say he was blown up, but he was pretty passionate about he is kind of blown up. Let's be honest here. <laughs> he was blown up. Yeah. He's the best prop in the NRL rather than the best 13 in the NRL. And before we kind of get more into that later, basically that way he got onto it is the game is changing and so is the way we're looking at positions. So today we're going to focus on each position in the row and how they have changed and kind of the ideal prototype or, or body yeah, player for that set position and how, how one position mold might affect the next like we'll get into the kind of half combination later so yeah we're going to get straight into um the the ideal fullback in today's game i think it's the position that out of any positions is the one that's been looked at the most in recent years and it's been the most obvious the changes that's been made and a lot of that's been the billy slaters has been you know dubbed as the person that has changed this um how do you see the ideal fullback in today's game um guru mate are we obviously talk about billy slater as being the man that changed the position for me i think it started a lot earlier than that i think guys like carmichael hunt the way that he burst onto the scene he had he had just this unbelievable ability just to peel off a two on three every single time he had the kicking game the passing game um, you know, but before him, you had Darren Locker, who I reckon was the next closest, you know, but before those guys, the best fullback was Anthony Minicello and he didn't really have that passing game. He sort of, he sort of changed the game in his own way. you like, you used to, if you watch those old footy games, you see, you see teams kick down and the, and the fullback or the winger returns and you would tend to only have like a five man line just to the edge the ball was kicked to. 
And mate, Anthony Minicello, he changed that completely. It meant that you had to have all of a sudden a 10-man line because he'd bounce off four blokes mm. and go from the sideline to under the sticks. And like he was just incredible the way that he's, he started that transition. It meant that no one could be lazy on the field anymore. It changed kick chase forever because you couldn't let Minicello run. And then, as I said, Carmichael Hunter merged. His passing game, he started to change the game. And then he left the game. And all of a sudden, Billy Slater burst onto the scene. And I think this is what we don't remember that, of course, Carmichael Hunt, I mean, he, he was keeping Billy Slater out of state of origin. They moved Slater to the bench in origin for Carmichael Hunt. That's how effective this guy was. And, you know, Billy Slater is the guy that we look at who transitioned. I think there was guys before him, but all the players that have come since, they have just got this this unbelievable passing game. Like, oh, I'm not sure where a Minicello would play nowadays, to be honest with you. If you put him in with his skill set from back then, I don't think he would be as effective now. And that's nothing against Minicello. That's just the way the game has changed. But 15 years ago, I mean, he was a golden boot winner. You know, it, it's crazy how it's gone. And you look at like for for me, pro- probably a perfect fullback, which we'll touch on, probably James Tedesco, just the way that he pushes up through the middle on every single play. I just think he's unreal. Clint Gutherson's very similar. Um, you've got guys like Tom Javojevic. I mean, what we saw the other day from him, I don't know if I've ever seen a better individual performance from a player. That was unbelievable from Turbo. And he's just got something that no one else does. And when I always look at the Turbo-Teddy argument. And for me, Turbo's the better footballer. Teddy's the better fullback. And I think there's a big difference between the two of those. Yeah, interesting. Interesting take. So, yeah, we talked about, yeah, obviously you've compared Teddy and Turbo there. And there is, what would you say, obviously there's clear differences in the terms of you look at, straight away look at them and the body types. But when I look at similarities between the best fullbacks, I think I believe they're the most well-rounded players in the game. Would you tend to agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And this is where I think it comes back to that change that Carmichael Hunt made. He he made a change in the game where your fullback had to be able to play five eight and fullback. Essentially, you had to be a second, you had to be a second ball player um, out the back there. And it was a skill set that a lot of fullbacks didn't have. They were handy, but they weren't they weren't a second five eight like the guys are now. And for, for me, I think that's been the massive change. And you're right, they are. They are they they have to be more complete footballers now. You can't just be really quick. You can't just be really strong. You have to be really quick, really strong. You have to be able to ball play. You have to have vision, which for me, the way the modern game is played out, you can do as many block plays as you want. Once you set up all your shape to the left, up, right, or the right sticks and you swing it back, whatever it is, the position you put your fullback in, if your fullback doesn't have the vision to be able to peel off that last play, it's completely pointless. It all comes down to vision for me. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that when I hear vision and – when I first saw him move into this role is definitely not what I, you know, the word I would have, you know, put next to him, but Latrell Mitchell's vision. Yeah. Obviously oh. he's got the size and, and then he's got the passing ability. The only one thing you could say about Latrell when you talk about that ideal perfect fullback is that supporting up the middle and maybe the meter gainage is the one thing. But I think when you have got such great talent around Latrell you are able to make up for his limitations. But I've been really impressed with Latrell's uh, playmaking ability. Talking about limitations um, as well, like Dylan Dylan Edwards is an interesting one because, look, I think when you think what's one way the Panthers could improve, you'd say fullback. But I think he only lost one game last season. That was obviously the grand final. And when he's played this year, he's been great. Um, do you think that... Him at fullback is going to kind of is that going to hold them back at all, or is does he bring so much? Even though his passing limitations, he brings so much of the other fundamentals that the Panthers will be able to survive. Mate, it's funny when you watch the Panthers and the way that they they run their shape. Like they they don't really use Dylan Edwards as much down that left edge. He sort of sits on the right edge where he's more comfortable. And they sort of let Jerome Luai, Matty Burton, Viliami Kiel, they, they've just got so much shape out on the left side that they almost get away with not having a fullback on that edge, which just sounds ridiculous. But Jerome Luai and these boys, they've just got such a combo that's just unreal, but I always look at Dylan Edwards and, you know, like you you, you watch Tom Travoyevich on the weekend against the, the New Zealand Warriors and you say, oh, you know, that was a 10 out of 10 game. Now, 
Does Dylan Edwards have a 10 out of 10? He probably doesn't. But his worst games are a 7 out of 10. Yeah, his best games an eight and a half. Yeah, mate. And that that's the thing. Like Dylan Edwards might not have the 10 out of 10, the unbelievable highlights, the four try games, but his teams tend to win. He gets a job done each and every week. Uh, I mean, I, I I think people forget that when he first came into this competition and everyone, you know, everyone bags Matt, Matt Moylan now, but he was 24 years old. He was a kangaroo. He was already the captain of the Penrith Panthers and they moved him out of fullback to play 5-8 because they had so much trust in this guy, Dylan Edwards. And he hasn't let them down in a single game since. He has just been unbelievable. Yeah, not for sure. I completely agree. And let's just before we move on to our wingers, is there anyone that's currently not playing fullback that you believe should be playing fullback that kind of fits what we've just discussed? Mate, the, the one that I've been talking about for a long time, and I said it about, I think it was two years ago, it was when the Canberra Raiders were on that unbelievable run the grand final, I think it would have been 2019. And they were playing their prelim final in Canberra and the Rabbitohs were going down there and the Rabbitohs just about run out of gas. And I sort of said, geez, I think they should move Cody Walker to fullback, just change it up a little bit, throw some different shape um, at this Canberra Raiders side. And I copped a heap of backlash for it, absolute heap of backlash. And then two years later, when the games got even faster and Cody Walker, he's got older, he moves to fullback. And, you know, the other night was obviously a terrible example when they got dusted by 50 against Melbourne. But I, I've always thought Cody Walker, he's got fullback written all over him. I mean, he's always a guy to get, you know, a, a two ball out on his left edge. And whenever he does hover over to that right edge, we're like, we've all seen those amazing plays that Adam Reynolds does where he sort of props, he squares up his man and he just sort of floats it into space for Cody Walker to come through and get. He's one guy that I've always thought he has got fullback written all over him for me. Yeah, exactly. You give him more license to roam. It's just going to cause more havoc for the defense, the more they have to worry about. So we'll transition to the winger now. Um, Yeah. There's probably a lot of ways to look at the ideal winger, but um, do you have any kind of preferred winger you'd like in your footy side would probably be the best way to frame this question? Mate, honestly, for me, and it goes all the way down to my under-16 sides, it would go all the way to first grade for me. And you have your Radradras, you have your Vunavales, these guys with this unbelievable X factor about them, mate. I want my wingers to be reliable. That is honestly all I want them to be reliable. I want them to back their center in defense. I don't want them to have brain explosions. And I just want them to time their run each and every time. And this is what I love about Brett Morris. And I think over the last year or two, people have started to realize just how good Brett Morris is. I mean, he scores all these tries. That's all anyone talks about. The way that Brett Morris defends and the way that he diffuses kicks has been second to none for, you know, 15 odd years now. I mean, you you go back to that that 2019 grand final against the Raiders. And, you know, everyone says, why did Jack Whiten get the Clive Churchill? I mean, if you go and watch his kicking game that night, it was unbelievable. He was dropping the ball 30 centimetres out from the try line every single play. If there was any other winger in history other than Brett Morris there, I think the Canberra Raiders would have got four or five repeat sets there instead of the Roosters always getting the ball back. I mean, I just think he's been unreal, Brett Morris. And one thing we always talk about with your wingers, and we just spoke about fullbacks, obviously, is your is your pendulum. So that's when your fullback drops back. And then depending on where the ball's being kicked from, how far each winger drops back. And it's a pendulum of three that needs to be moving all game. And you just – you never see Brett Morris get caught out. You never see him too deep. You never see him up too close to the play of the ball where the ball hits the ground. I, I just think reliability is the most underrated skill as far as wingers goes in the modern game, because we are just so desperate for all these highlights constantly. If you can give me a winger that I know is going to give me eight out of 10 every single week, I'm stoked with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I agree. Like if there's any little, you know, anything that I want from winger, um, yeah, reliability is there. Like probably people might be expecting you to say like, I want the athleticism of a Mike receiver. I want the speed of an Edo car, but at the end of the day, you want them to make the 1% plays and just knowing whatever they have to do, you back them 100%. And I think Brett Morris is a good way of how the wing winger role has kind of changed over over time as well. He's been able to be, um, be as come into the middle and support. Um, you And also his skill set now, when he's chucked at fullback, I think he was the fullback when the Roosters absolutely spanked the Broncos last year. He was center yep. in his potentially his last game of his career and was one of the best players on the field. 
So it's because even though, yes, he's a great finisher, he's now developed all these other skills to help to his game as well. Um, and, yeah, is there anyone in particular you reckon should shift to the wing? I've got one on the top of my head, but I want to see um, where you go with this one. Uh, mate, off the top of my head, I, uh, the one guy that I would probably like to see um, that's playing centre at the moment, and I think he's only there because of injuries and whatnot, but it definitely is Remus Smith. Uh, he's a guy that I think one in, he's nowhere near as effective. I mean, it was no shock the other day uh, we saw George Jennings go off the field. He jumped onto the wing. I think he scored three tries that game. He's always just been a out-and-out winger for me. He's probably one guy I would love to see out there. Who were who you thinking of? Jermaine Asako. Jermaine Asako for me. I feel like he had a great game the other day at fullback. Um, but someone mentioned a really good point that they believe that the impact he made in that game, he could still do it at winger to a degree, or the skills the skills he showed, he can still do it as a winger. I do think we're seeing a little bit of an unt- untapped thing with wingers too, where they can become a second fullback. I like because... And we, were kind of, we could move on to the centres shortly, obviously. But a lot of people were kind of screaming for Latrell, um, obviously, to go fallback. But I think maybe you've talked on this before where even though, or might not have been you, but even at centre, he can still shift round to the other side of the position. He can still roam round. Even though, yes, you're left centre, you should still have the licence to roam. And I feel like even though Asako, you know, will be placed in the wing, it doesn't mean that kind of holds him back from going in the middle and being more damaging as a ball runner there. So he's one guy I reckon would suit that role quite well. And I think, mate, this goes back to a lot of what I talk about on my podcast is that people get stuck in these rigid ways of thinking of your wingers have to stay on the wings, your centres have to stay on the in the centres. I mean, you saw Brad Fittler the way, and we'll, we'll talk about centres in the moment, but just an example, the way he used Tom Turovich, uh in origin a couple of years ago, and everyone absolutely shit themselves that he let a footballer play football. And I just, for me, that, that just summed it up for me that people just, we're just stuck in these ways of thinking. And, you know, like, oh, you know, they haven't done it in a while, of course, because they've been in all sorts. But over the last few years, I mean, Brisbane always used to have that play where they'd go to the left sticks, they'd swing to the right, and they would have Corey Oates, and he would swing all the way from his wing and sort of hit, hit that gap into the tram line. And it's those sort of things that I think they need to be doing more of it with all their players. I mean, you, you occasionally – during last year would see Stephen Crichton occasionally sort of float over to the right edge and have some impact there. But I don't think players do it anywhere near enough. I don't think coaches doing it, do it anywhere near enough either. Yeah. No, it's something that I always just, because one of my favorite players of all time was Nathan Merritt, because I love that. He kind of just snuck in the middle. Um, yeah. Essentially always did the same, no matter what position his was fullback and winger, he was just supporting up the middle and um, we better transition to center and, I want to touch on kind of more like this having a specialist centre. We see a lot of times in origin and rep footy, your centres are, um, are fullbacks. Why do you think, let's just touch on the specialist centre and the fact that do you think we're seeing more? We Because last year I saw Kostonic and Tony Staggs had a great year. Stephen Crichton emerged. Um, Bradman Best, Zach Lomax. Do you think we're kind of seeing a rebirth of a, specialist centre or do you think that's kind of a bit of a yeah maybe just a bit of an outlier no no for, for me mate we are definitely seeing um as you described a, a rebirth of the specialist centre uh and look for, for me if you would have said to me 18 months ago what's the most irrelevant position on the field i would have said centre every day of the week it was just becoming that, that, like you would you you were just part of little set plays you would see once a game, there was no creativity to it. There was no of the like for, 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 for me. I think two of the best pure centers I've ever seen, and they're in the same team. It was unbelievable. Was Matty Cooper and Mark Asnia. I mean, the, the old ideal of you know, the better your center is, the earlier you get them the ball that really died from probably 2010 till about 2019. And centers just became these robotic sort of fixtures just out stay in your corridor don't move away from that corridor if there's if you're going to find space we're going to create it for you and it's it's just not like that anymore i I love how these new rules what what these new rules have done have made it so tight around the center third everyone's pushing out through the center third that when you do get an opportunity to spread the ball there is just so much more room and 
you know, this is something that, that, that Luke Keary has done better than anyone over the last few years. And it's a, it's a really underrated skill of just being able to release the ball earlier and get your better players early ball. Like, and that's what made Latrell Mitchell so good at the Roosters. Luke Keary understood my role here is to just get this Ferrari, the ball, with as much space between him and the defense as I possibly can. And he was able to absolutely wreak havoc. <clears throat> and I think these new rules, they have just created that even more. You've got all these strike centers now in the game that, you know, you had strike centers five years ago. It's not like there was no centers playing rugby league five or six years ago, but it's these new rules that have created more space out on the edges. And I think the coaching has changed to be able to fit around these guys. I think it's really exciting to see because for, for me, center, like if you would have said to me five years ago, what's your ideal center? I would have said, I want someone that, that can defend. That's all I want a good defender because it's not that critical. Now the game has changed. Like so, some of the guys, as you mentioned, Stags, you got Lomax, he's injured at the moment. We've got Stephen Crichton. You've got, you know, the, the, the other side of it now is you've got guys like Matty Burton that are shifting out there. You've got guys like Connor Tracy, like, uh, like that just wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago. The position is changing and it is becoming more and more. Every position is becoming more and more natural footballers. We're getting back to that 1990 sort of brand of footy where guys like Jerome Luai, Tyrone Peachy, Cody Walker are, are able to dominate. And, and the center position, it's becoming exactly the same. It's really exciting to watch at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It has been one of those positions I've taken extra care of kind of noticing the transition. The Matt Burden thing has been sensational to watch and it's one of one of those kind of topics i tend to think is that kind of an outlier or is that like a trend we'll see where yes you just see natural footballers take the center or is that a pedimuth panther system thing because a lot a few people have discussed the idea of drink water going to center but i i still think there kind of has to be a prerequisite requisite in terms of like the body type and a few other little factors as well um so is anyone in particular I mean you can maybe touch on like a half that will transition to center that you think should be more suited in that position mate uh, I, and and it's sort of one thing we, we talk about someone being the exception or the example and at the moment maddie burden is the exception and to be honest with you i i i, I don't pretend to know everything but i'm not sure if matt burton if he is the exception or the example, I think what we got to remember with him out on that left edge is that if you're a half that wanted to play center, is there any better team to possibly do it in than the Penrith Panthers and on that left edge? It just allows him to be a natural footballer. Um, I mean, as far as your question goes, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when Wayne Bennett used to use Benji as a center up in Brisbane. I remember sitting there going, what on earth? How could this possibly work? But Geez, it looked like it looked good. It worked. He was pretty successful there. He wasn't an all-star center. Don't get me wrong. Um, man, it's an interesting one. I'm not, there's no one off the top of my head that I can think right now as a guy that I would like to see there. I mean, I, I, I think one thing that is a possibility over the next few weeks, I wouldn't be shocked to see like a Reese Walsh end up at center. And, and I think he would do pretty well there. Uh, you got your natural sort of footballers like you know, the Melbourne halves, Munster and Jerome Hughes, I would never move them to the centre, but geez, if you did, I'm pretty confident those two would handle themselves there. But uh, it's an interesting one. Off the top of my head, mate, there's no one else that really stands out for me, though, if I'm being honest with you. Jack Whiten, he's mm. probably one, but he's already played centre. Um, but yeah, no, no one that really stands out for me, to be honest with you. Yeah, true. And it might be one of those things we it's more might come down to the opportunity arises for those halves when it comes origin time um like michael morgan filled in there at half obviously jack wyden's been there clint gufferson's gone the fullback to center they've made it work and we'll go into the halves now and also the hooker so we're going to look at this kind of as a combination because i think a lot of who your six is depends on who your seven is but now even more so you could probably have two halves that share a lot of similarities but make sure there's a balance and the number nine can make that balance work. So in terms of a part as a kind of a trio, yeah, what would be your ideal trio for the half hooker? Mate, it really depends on your coaching, I think. And it depends on the rest of your system. I mean, um, yeah, up until five or six weeks ago, we all thought the Canberra Raiders, they were a top shelf team. You watched them play footy last year. They were unreal. They had a running nine. They had a running seven, a running six. Um, and I, I'm not willing to say that that approach is outdated now because the Raiders aren't going well. I think there's a lot more to that. 
But I, I still think I would like to have more of a traditional halfback. I, I, I've said a long time, if, if, I'm, if I'm on grand final day and I've got to pick a halfback out of the current group, I go Adam Reynolds every day of the week. Uh, I think kicking game is still as important as ever, if not more important. And just being able to control your sides and getting to the right spots on the field. I mean, you see these teams, they all set up for very similar plays and it all comes down to how you split the defense, whether you get them, you know, obviously you have two markers, you have a fullback, there's your three players. It means you've got a 10-man spread across your line. It all depends how you split them, whether it's four, six, six, four, seven, three, wherever you want to land and whatever shape you want to throw at them. And it's your halfback that gets you into those positions. I look at South Sydney and, you know, as great as, as Benji Marshall is, he isn't the same organizer as Adam Reynolds. And, and you could see a little bit of that the other night when they got slapped by Melbourne. I'm not saying it's all Adam Reynolds' fault because he wasn't there. They were missing a number of other troops. But a guy like Adam Reynolds, I think he is absolutely critical. Um, I've spoken about a long time. I think the best hooker in the game is Harry Grant. I absolutely love this bloke. Uh, I think he's got so much to offer. And he's probably my ideal nine. I, I think hookers now, they need fantastic ruck recognition. They need to be able to address when there's an opportunity, when there's lazy markers. They need to be able to address who's at marker every single time. They need to get at certain players and make them jump into market two or three times. And this is what the really good nines do. And then when they do, when, when, their ruck, when their ruck recognition does kick in, their instincts just go and they know to go straight away. I think it's one thing that Damien Cook, he's probably been a little bit hesitant over the last 18 months or so. At the back end of last season, he really found it. But I mean, the way that the modern games play, Damien Cook, he should be the best hooker in our game by a country mile. I'm not really sure what's going on there with him, but for, for me right now, it's Harry Grant. And look, it, it isn't really close for me. So, as you can see here, I'm a Storm fan, and I was just holding the brakes on calling Harry Grant the best hook in the game, obviously after just only one proper season. But I'm, I'm at the point now, and obviously he's only played about a handful, you know, less than half the games this season. I'm ready and to anoint him that. And I kind of put this question in the outline I sent you. Reactive dummy halves? and running dummy, dummy halves. I think you kind of described then what a reactive dummy half is. And I think, for me, that is Harry Grant. And, look, I think Harry um, Damien Cook, like you said, he's got the ability to react. But sometimes I think, is it, yeah, is he more just a running half? He A lot of stuff happens when he runs the ball. Or is he, you know, running because that is – you know, he's wrapped into what's happening, um, which, yeah, can be a bit bit of a – do you have a kind of a way to kind of get a bit of summarise of that, of react a reactive player and a running kind of hooker? Mate, uh, the, the one kid that I look at at the moment that I think one day he is going to be a brilliant nine, he's just started his career, but it's the West Tigers' Jake Simkin. Now, as you describe it, a running and a reactive, I think right now Simkin – He's a running nine. I don't think he really addresses the right moments to run. Another guy that I've always thought is a running nine, I wouldn't say he's a reactive nine, is uh, Danny Levi. Now, he's obviously been through a number of clubs. He is such a strong runner of the football from dummy half. He's unreal. But the moments that he picks to run is always a serious worry. Same as the Canterbury hooker. Um, Katoa, I've always thought very similar of him. I think it's a maturity thing and, and that's what's so crazy about what Harry Grant's able to do he's done it at such a young age he's able to address a ruck in a split second and just know that this is the moment to go he's got a perfect release like he, he understands the moments where he needs to make his eight meters and let the ball go or whether he just needs to put his, his head down and go and I think that's sometimes where Damien Cook gets a little bit hesitant I I remember talking to the um the sprints coach, Roger Fabry, and he worked with him all off-season, Damien Cook. And he said to me last year, you're going to see a new Damien Cook at the end of the season. And I thought, well, what do you mean at the end of the season? He goes, oh, he's working out, he's working out at his, his – he, he called it his fly speed. He said his fly speed will be at top notch at the end of the season. And, you know, I, I sort of put it in my back pocket and didn't really think much of it. Cook didn't really impress me much in the season. Then I'm not sure if you remember, but about three weeks before the finals kicked off last year, Damien Cook – he just started going 100. He was unreal for the last few weeks of last season. The South Sydney Rabbitohs just ran out of gas at the end in the prelim finals, a lot like they tend to do. But I find Damien Cook one of the most interesting players in this competition. I find it so hard to get a read on him. And I, I, I guess part of it is because he doesn't have a massive forward pack in front of him. He's got a good forward pack that overachieves for me off the back of Wayne Bennett. 
But I think if you if you were to put Damien Cook in this Melbourne Storm team, I think you would see a very different Damien Cook. Uh, and I mean, you can see it, you know, eight times out of 10 after Cam Murray runs, you can see Damien Cook, he starts to click into action, but they've only really got that one runner that really gets on the front foot, gets on their elbows and knees, gets a quick play of the ball. And I just think if South Sydney, if they were to do more favours with Damien Cook, which, you know, if they have Adam Reynolds leave this year, they're going to have a bit of money to spend. I would like to see them get some more of those explosive sort of forwards to work off off the back of Damien Cook. I, I think it could be anything there. Yeah. So I think a good way to summarise that is a lot of that that trio of your half and hooker kind of relies on the systems and the coaching you have in place and, yeah, the players you have around you. Um, we'll touch on now the middle forward. So we're talking about props and lock. Basically, I'm just giving you permission to go on your Jason Tamalolo rant and your Victor Radley stance as well. So have at it. Oh, mate, I, I just, you know, I, I always find it it, it funny with, it, with this um, – with the Victor Radley opinion now, two years ago, I said, he's the best lock forward in the game. And everyone said, but Tamalolo runs 300 meters. He does this, he does that. I go, yeah, but if you watch the way the Roosters play, I mean, Cooper Cronk plays on the right side. Luke Keary plays on the left. Neither of them control the center third because Victor Radley does it all and got laughed at for a very long time. And I find it amazing now. I see all these New South Wales teams picked. I see all these Kangaroos teams picked. They've all got Victor Radley at 13 now. Victor Radley's playing the worst footy he's played in two and a half years right now, but it's all of a sudden become popular to get on the the Victor Radley train. Um, I, I think that for those, for them to win those two premierships, I mean, they won 18. They were, I'm not sure if you remember, 2018, I mean, they started the season, they were very shaky. Um, Cooper Cronk was new, James Sesco was new, heap of new combinations. Around round 13, they, they, they pissed Isaac Lew off. They played Victor Radley at 13 and everything clicked into gear. From that moment, no one seems to remember it. They win that premiership. They come back 2019. He was unreal. They win that premiership again. He was massive in that grand final. 2020, they come back. And as much as it didn't end well for the Roosters, I mean, if everyone remembers back to the first 12 rounds, no one was saying that the halfback, Kyle Flanagan, was shit. No one was saying he shouldn't be there. No one was saying they were really missing Cooper Cronk. All of a sudden, Victor Radley goes down. The entire narrative changes. The entire narrative changed at that exact moment when Victor Radley went down. Uh, you, you, I mean, you, you've seen Jason Tamalolo. Yes, he puts up these unbelievable numbers, but could he not do exactly what he's doing in the front row? Exactly. Could they not use? I mean, uh, with all due respect to the North Queensland Cowboys, Tamalolo, he runs for 300 metres. He does this. He does that. Amazing. No one's ever done it. They don't win games of football. They simply do not win games of football. I mean, it's just, it's been way too long up there without any success. You've apparently got the best forward in the world. Why aren't you winning games of football off the back of it? It seems to me that whenever I watch the North Queensland Cowboys, I mean, we all tell we all, everyone wants to tell me how good Tamalolo is, and yes, he's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but then you also, in the same terms, just tell me oh, it's too bad the Cowboys have the most boring attack in the world. It's because you don't have a middle forward that can move the ball around. You've got a third front rower on the field. You're playing very vanilla. It's easy to read, and I understand there's a hangover from from Jonathan Thurston, but the Cowboys did not help themselves in any way, shape, or form. They kept playing 2015 footy when you've got Cam Murray, Brandon Smith, Victor Radley, these sort of guys in the good teams that are always up the top. Like I, I, It's taken a long time for people to open their eyes and realize, and it sort of it took these rule changes for everyone to realize because it changed the game. It sped it up, and it made everyone realize really quickly, hold on, you don't need as many front rowers on the field. You need more natural footballers. And this is sort of the theme we keep coming back to, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like putting Jason Tamalola at 13 prevents the Cowboys to add another element to their footy side. Like we've talked about with the Radley. And obviously you, there's not that many Radleys around in terms of the ball play, ball, ball playing, but you can find, you definitely find something. And also to touch on Radley, I was really interested to listen to your podcast yesterday you say about your New South Wales um, lineup, um, yep. and if you're going to have Radley as 13, because while I was interested, like you said, I haven't been extremely impressed with Radley, but what you've done, you had Yo as your 13, and I completely agree because it's not, and hopefully footy fans are understanding this too, it's not Radley, it's more the style Radley plays, and Yao is a version of what Radley brings. 
He and also he's he's reliable as well. He brings it on the defensive end, and he's got the subtle hands, so he's able to add an extra dynamic. So I hope people understand it's not just Radley, but it's actually just the the player type in general. Um, and also the mob- just touch on quickly the mobility mobility of the thirteens like the Camaros as well. Billy Magulius is a guy that has yes, he's got that ball playing, and yes, ideally he'd be a great thirteen to have, but. The thing I have with him is, is he going to be able to kind of bring enough in that mobile kind of movement as a 13 and, yeah, create enough um, havoc um, in his running game? So, yeah, do you have anything to say on probably anyone that you believe should be um, transitioned to a prop or transitioned to the loose forward position? Oh, mate, there's been a number of halves over the years that I've always thought could potentially go into that role. I always thought one... And in hindsight now, probably not a good idea, but I always thought one guy that would have made an unbelievable 13 would have been Mitch Pierce. Uh, the best part of his game is his running game. He's an excellent defender. For the for years there, he was floating around at the Roosters wearing the seven, and it was just, a, you know, it was 2010. Oh, he made it to a grand final. Yeah, okay. He had the Dalian medalist, Todd Carney, next to him, who was setting the world alight. 2013, he won the premiership. Yeah, okay. He had James Maloney standing next to him like, for a long time there, Pierce, he couldn't really own his team. And arguably, you could you could tell me that potentially he still can't. He's a guy that I always thought would have made an unreal um, lock forward. I also think before, obviously, he's retired now, unfortunately, but I always thought Michael Morgan, he would have been a sensational lock forward. He's got leg speed, he's got ball skills, but he's never really been that structured sort of half. I think he'd be brilliant. Uh, the main guy I've been talking about since my page started was Tyrone Peachy. We're finally seeing him jump into 13. And I think we can see the impact he's having on the Gold Coast Titans. And it was even, mate, it was even 10 weeks ago when I was naming my teams for this season. I had Peachy at 13 for the Titans. I had Tino on the bench and everyone blew up deluxe. And I just couldn't understand why, what, 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 what is the problem with not having sort of Tino in your starting team? He's going to come on the front row rotation, but it allows it allows a guy like Tyron Peachy to roam around at 13. It's one thing that I've, ju- I've just never understood how people don't see it in the modern game. Um, I, I think the next guy to move in there and the next guy to be successful is Jack Bird. Uh, he's been a natural 13 all of his life for me. He's just been stuck out at the centers, been tried to make fullback money. I think he's got lock forward written all over him, Jack Bird. Once he's got confidence in his body, which he, it looks like he's starting to get it now, I would love to see Bird wearing the 13 jersey. Yeah, no, for sure. And Connor Watson's probably another one that fits that mold too that's transitioned there this year. Um, we'll move along to the second rows and probably keeping a bit too long, but we'll just get straight into kind of maybe, yeah, like we said here, we're about someone that could transition to the second row position. Now, just probably focus on the prototypes that I feel are part of the game today. Dave Fafita, obviously you're rampaging, can make just action from himself. He doesn't need others to create for him. You've got Boyd Cordner, who's traditional second rower, runs great lines and is a tough player. And you've got the Wade Graham mold, who's essentially is a second playmaker at time. Um, so if there's anything, yeah, any particularly you want to touch on, on those, those molds as second rowers and anyone that you could see transition into this role as well. Mate, oh, I think these three molds are just about perfect. You have David Fafita, who's obviously your just your freak, explosive sort of athlete, hard to handle. Uh, you know, you put Kikau in his sort of category. You put um, probably like a Jordan Ricky on on the lower end of the scale. There's a number of guys running around in our competition that are like this, and I think in ten years' time, this is going to be more normal because as, as you watch the junior grades now, as you watch your Harold Matthews and everything, you're your Boyd Cordner, your, your traditional sort of back rowers, they are a little bit of a dying breed as they are in, in your front row. We'll, we'll, we'll probably touch on that later, I guess, but um, or as we already have. But I think that that's that old school sort of reliable sort of guy like Boyd Cordner, I do think it's a bit of a dying breed. They will always exist, no doubt about it. But I think your Cordners, your Josh Jacksons, these sort of guys, I think they are a little bit of a dying breed. The way Graham one, I absolutely love. I always think there'll be a place in the game for these guys, especially the way that the modern game is suited now to playing left and right and having so much shape sort of going at certain guys. And it's crazy, you know, like we talk about the Dave Fafita type, that explosive type. We talk about Wade Graham. I mean, and it's probably a bit of a hot take, but Kikau 
on the surface, he's the David Fafita type every day of the week, but mate, he's low key also becoming a bit of a Wade Graham type. He can slip into shape. He can throw some brilliant passes out the back there. He's nowhere near as gifted as Wade Graham. Don't get me wrong. But the Penrith Panthers are able to use him in shape and he's able to make the passes that he needs to hit. Like he is becoming an absolute juggernaut out there with and without the ball. I think that's a great point. Like obviously, yes, he's, you know, he's not Wade Graham, but he doesn't look, yeah, they feel comfortable enough to use him in those situations. That's a really good point. Um, And probably brings me to a guy in particular before we move on to the bench, Josh Schuster. Would you prefer to see him stay as a left-edge second row or move in six? Because I think I would like to see him stay in the second row position, but I'm open to, you know, kind of um, move away from that thought. Mate, for, for me, he's got to be 5'8". I, and look, I haven't really seen him play much second row until he's got to first grade. Oh, I didn't even realise he had played much second row before this. I, I'd only seen him play the games that I'd seen him play, which was at 5'8", and I just couldn't believe the amount of talent he had. I, I think that it'll be fantastic for him long-term to understand probably the amount of work that your forwards put into. I think it's one thing that halves probably take for granted that they don't understand how hard their forwards are working through to get through a set, and then it all comes down to their kick. As you know, like... A good set, it can all of a sudden be a shit set with a bad kick. A bad set can turn into a great set with a good kick. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a really good education for halves to spend a bit of time in the forwards. Um, you know, a, a lot of the halfbacks that I talk to that have turned out to be good players that have come on my podcast always mention that, you know, their, their coaches just always force them to tackle with the forwards. I, you know, Brett Finch told me a story. They were down at Bondi Beach and they, they were literally just tackling, tackling each other in groups and they would go, your halves over here, your centers over here, your wingers over here, your front rowers, your second rowers. And Ricky Stewart would put Brett Finch with the front rowers every single time. And he said, it just gave me an appreciation of how hard they work in there. Um, and I, I, I think it's going to be really good for Josh Schuster. But personally, I just think with his skill set, he's just got, he's got some X factor that I, I think we're seeing little bits and pieces of it in the second row at the moment. But I, I think I would like to see him with more time and more space and a bit more ability to be able to pick and choose where he goes at the moment. He's sort of stranded down that corridor. He gets the ball when other people want him to have the ball. Man, if I've got a talent like Schuster, I want him to touch the ball as much as he wants. I want him, as soon as he sees something, there has to be a call where Josh Schuster is given the goddamn ball. You don't mess around with it. You just give him early ball. I think he's going to be absolutely lethal, this kid. And I love Kieran Foran. I'm a huge fan of him. But I, I mean, we're not looking down the barrel of another four years of Kieran Foran, let's be perfectly honest here. Um, and I, I think this kid will be the 5'8 after Foran. And I'm really excited about it. I understand your argument. I think he's done really well in the second row. But I think when people see his full skill set, when he's able to play six, I think they're going to be blown away. Yeah, no, great point. And it's probably one of those things still haven't seen, like, a tremendous amount of his footy um, still to this day. And obviously that come, you know, that sings true about him as a five eighth. And yeah, like you said, gives him more potential to, you know, have a impact on the game when he's at six. We'll move on to, I think now it's a, you know, it's a aspect of the game got used to get overlooked in the sense that there used to be the stigma attached where you're not good enough to make the starter. So that's why on your bench. Not always the case now. A lot of the times you are actually just better suited to be on the bench because you've got a skill set and ability to impact the game. Let's just talk about like the bench, the ideal bench construction. Um, and I think, look, off the top of my head, Melbourne, a uh, great example of this. Um, I think there was the biggest, they, there was their biggest X factor over any other team um, last year and why they ultimately won. So, yeah, I just want your thoughts on the ideal bench Oh, mate, this is an argument I've been having online for way too long. This stigma around bench players not being up to the standard of the guys in the starting team, it's just so outdated and ridiculous. And you only have to look at the Melbourne Storm last year. I mean, I'm sorry, they all these great players, Cameron Smith, best player ever, they don't win that premiership without Brandon Smith. They don't get close to winning that premiership without Brandon Smith. He was unreal through the centre third. I believe in the grand final, they also had Nico Hines on their bench and they didn't even use him. Uh, but he was there just in case. And I think that the way to, that a lot of these teams are using their bench at the moment, it is just so critical. It's more important than ever. And I mean, you look at 
You look at Ricky Stewart the other day. I mean, he, he wanted to give Josh Papali a spell. He didn't drop him to the bench. He dropped him out of the team. And I think that's kind of the reality moving forward. You don't want to mess around with your bench rotation. If you've worked out, you know, how to use your bench properly, you, you don't want to be screwing around with it. Like, I, I look at one guy and, you know, I, I'm, I'm always more headed towards, you know, the exciting utilities on your bench and these sort of guys. But I think one of the best players that's been coming off the bench in the competition for a long time has been Lindsay Collins. Now, unfortunately, he copped his injury the other day. We won't see him again this year, but he's another guy last year for the Roosters coming off the bench. He was unreal. And I kept, I, all I got was constant messages. Oh, he should be starting. He's good enough to be starting. And it's like, fuck, you can play the first 25 minutes in the last 25, or you can play the 50 through the center of the game. Does it change how many minutes you're playing, whether you run on, or not, I, I just think it's ridiculous how we get stuck in, once again, these rigid ways of thinking, this outdate, outdated way of looking at rugby league. Your bench is more important than ever. And I mean, in the modern game, if you if you go out and you lead 18-0 and you've got your best team on the field, all of a sudden, your three best forwards come off the field, you bring on three numpties, you're going to be down 26-20 within 15 minutes in the modern game. You just can't afford to do it anymore. You Your, your bench guys, they need to be able to handle themselves not only handle themselves, they need to be able to take the game up to an to the next gear. And I think that's what Melbourne have done better than anyone. I think that's what Penrith do as well. Sensational. They got um Lenu and Leota who come on. You know, they're unreal. They've also got, depending on who, who it is, you know, Kate Wall or um at the moment it's the um what's his name? Liam Martin. He does a sensational job. And then you've got all these utilities getting around the competition. Like I think Tyron May, I think he is so underrated. The mm. ability he has to come on and play any position you want. And like the only position you probably wouldn't play him is front row. But you've got Isaiah Yo, you've got Viliami Kiko. If you were desperate, you could shift these guys up into the middle. So Tyron May, he essentially covers every position on the field. And this is a guy, I, I think he is so underrated. I think he's so critical to what they do. He's probably been overshadowed a little bit by Matty Burton. He, he sort of jumped in front of him. I mean, Tyrone May was coming on to play center, to play back row last year, and their shape and their structures, it didn't change at all. And at times, it gave them a little bit extra, didn't it? It was unreal. 100%, 100%, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and go back to, like, forwards coming off the bench. Like, would you rather having your most damaging forwards run at a – a forward pack that have just gone the field or that have paid 20, 30 minutes making 20 odd tackles by that point and running up and down back and forth. Yeah. It's just, I think there's just a way that this has to be, um, yeah, a process that we're still seeing and teams will, you know, click onto it. And obviously in origin, um, we'll just quickly touch on that. We see interesting kind of beaches now constructed and one that caught me, I shouldn't say off guard, but was an interesting one was the New South Wales four-pack uh, bench in game two when they had three loose forwards. I think they had Nathan Brown, they had Dalfin Nukin, and they had Isaiah Yeo. So that's kind of, even though they're not utilities, but it's basically kind of combined. That's like two utilities kind of. Um, what When you saw that lock forward combination, what were your first thoughts on that? And do you think it's an effective one? I think it can be effective. I think that game too last year, uh, we spoke earlier about the exception and the example. I mean, New South Wales, they were just on the front foot the entire time. Like They essentially won that game before their bench even entered the arena. I think a lot of those guys they picked there were um, they're, they're guys that, you know, they obviously are versatile. They can play as middle forwards, which is what a lot of them did. But I also think moving forward, I think the days of having utility and three front rowers, I think they are well and truly Gonski. Um, I think there's going to be – it's going to get worse. Sorry, not not worse. I think they're going to become more irrelevant as the game moves on, of course. I think the once the players get used to the speed that we're at right now, eventually we're going to get to a point where this is going to be the normal. At the moment, it's not. Eventually, it will be. And then we'll go, okay, how can we make this more entertaining? Eventually, the interchange will drop to six. All of a sudden, your forwards, your front rowers, they are going to have to be fit as a fiddle. This is where – you guys like Payne Haas that can do 60, 70, 80 minutes, they're going to have to be the norm and it's going to have to be the standard that these younger kids are trying to strive to now. And, you know, the more and more I look at it, uh, you know, I remember after Origin 3 last year, James Tedesco got injured um, and everyone said, why wasn't Pappy on the bench, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's an easy one in hindsight, but 
I think moving forward and the way these modern rules are playing, you need a quick, nippy fella who's able to come onto the onto the field and just cause havoc. I mean, I'm looking at this Queensland team right now, and as a New South Wales fan, I am shitting myself that they're going to pick AJ Brimson at 14. Everyone's saying, nah, it'll be Ben Hunt or Reed Mahoney. I'm going fucking beautiful. Please pick one of those because the last thing I want in the 30th minute is AJ Brimson to come into the field and sniff around the middle. If I was a Queensland fan, the last thing I'd want is for Ryan Pappenhausen to enter the fray in the 30th minute. Um, the, the amount of tired bodies that are getting around at the moment. And, you know, it, it's funny over the last few weeks, the amount of messages I got in the first five weeks from people saying, oh, can you believe Connor Watson's on the bench? And I think I think people were expecting me to blow up and go, oh, he should be wearing starting 13 because it's what I've been saying for a long time. But it's not about the jersey on your back or where you start. It's the role that you play. Yeah. And for Connor Watson, I mean, that's exactly how I would use Connor Watson. He would come on against tired bodies and wreak havoc, and that's what he's been doing. You look at what Melbourne's doing with Harry Grant at the moment. I mean, it's genius. I, I don't like it personally because I want to see Harry Grant play 80 minutes. I'm selfish like that. But, mate, the way it works right now with Brandon Smith, he goes through the first 20 minutes of belt and bash. That is Brandon Smith. That's his, that's his bread and butter. Then you put Harry Grant on. His ruck recognition kicks in. There's tired bodies everywhere. Melbourne are normally on top. If they're not, they're, they're just even with their opposition. And then Harry Grant's able to take over. And then it's been worth it, working perfectly for them. Your bench rotation is more important than ever right now. And the best coaches, they understand that. Yeah. Nah, 100% agree. Um. And that's basically us. I really appreciate you coming on today, Nathan. Um, just probably some, if you've got any final thoughts on, you know, the position, positional kind of preference today and also just roster construction in general, I'll let you have it. But, yeah, if not, thank you very much for having, uh, for coming on today, Nathan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, mate, I think we've covered just about everything. That was that was really good. I'll make sure that I post this on my podcast as well. Chuck it up on my page, mate. Uh try and get you as many followers as, as many listeners as, as we possibly can mate you're doing fantastic things awesome hey it's not about the followers but hey they, they go a long way the more the more community you can kind of build off this um the more fun i i have doing this so yeah really appreciate it guys and um yeah i'll catch you guys all next week and yeah have a good week team